Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. In this segment, we're going to be covering night three of the Shields virtual fish series as we are joined by Jason Mitchell and Johnny Candle talking all things walleye. Here's our segment of night three of the Shields virtual fish series featuring Jason Mitchell and Johnny Candle. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the final night of the virtual fishing series. Tonight, we got a heavy night with some, uh, a couple pros here. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen these, either the two gentlemen, either on TV or on social media platforms. I'll be the host tonight. My name is Ben Fleischacker. I do all the SMU, the private label program with uh, Shields. I'm joined tonight by Matt Schneider. I think I said that right. Matt you Schneider did. from our Fargo store. He's uh, one of our fishing managers and uh, excited to have him on here. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been a fishing manager for a year. Uh, I've worked at Shields for three years now, so I've um, definitely been around the fishing world for quite a while now. So uh, although I am a bass guy, I live in North Dakota, so I fish a lot of walleye, you know, in the spring and in the late fall. So I will uh, more than likely I'll be behind the camera and I will be answering all your guys' questions uh, for tonight and then transferring them over for Ben to ask the guys. So. Very good. Well, thank you, Matt. So tonight, without further ado, we got Jason Mitchell and Johnny Candle. Uh, we're going to be talking walleye. Obviously, if there's other questions about other fish species, uh, these guys have done it. They've caught it. They've gone places. Uh, we we're just talking before the, the show started here, and you know the trips have already been on this year, and also what they got planned out. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, we got prize packages this evening. We got two gift cards again. We got a five hundred dollar gift card and a thousand dollar gift card. So please make sure you're getting registered at shields.com forward slash fishing series. And uh, without further ado, Johnny, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself and kind of give us a brief background, what got you in the industry, maybe your favorite fish? Absolutely. Uh, my name's Johnny Candle. I currently live in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I've uh, been a resident there for about 20 years now. Born and raised in Northeast Ohio, uh, was the son of a Lake Erie charter boat captain. My father ran a, a large fishing boat on Lake Erie for 30 some years. Uh, as part of his livelihood. It wasn't his main source of income, but uh, it was a, a nice little side hustle, I guess they'd call it nowadays. Uh, so I, I came by this fishing disease, I call it very honestly. Uh, I, that's what we did for fun. Uh, mm -hmm. Since I was a little guy, dad, grandpa, mom, even my grandmothers uh, went to the lake or the river and fished with us and uh, just fell in love with it at an early age, uh, all, all through high school and college. I thought much more about fishing than my schoolwork, and that was pretty evident when you looked at my report card, uh, that I would rather be fishing than going to school. And when I got out of college, I just said, you know what, uh, it's now or never. I'm either going to make a, a living in the fishing industry, or I'm going to die trying. And here I am, uh, 51 years old now, and it's the only job I've ever had. So I, I can't complain. It's been a fun ride. That's great. Good. Jason? Yeah, kind of, kind of a similar story. You know, I've, I grew up just loved fishing. That's all I ever thought about, all I ever did. Uh, started guiding at a pretty young age and uh, guided for quite a few years on Devil's Lake. And then about 12 years ago, we, we got into outdoor television. We've been doing that ever since. And so, yeah, I've been just uh, obsessed with fishing my whole life. Just love fishing. I love what fishing does for people. And uh, obviously, you know, living in North Dakota, you know, it's uh, – you know, growing up, you know, everybody fished for walleyes. That was the only fish. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I, I also got my eyes open to the fact that there's no bad fish. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I love fishing for everything, you know. So, you know, walleyes are what I've spent the most time doing, but I've never met a fish I didn't like. So. Very cool. All right. Well, let's jump right in. We got the questions coming. We got pages and pages already. So the first one. When is the best time of year to go for walleye or what's the, the ideal water temperature? Anytime you can. <laughs> so I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I think, you know, sometimes people get so hung up on chasing reports and all they bought, bit out here yesterday. Well, if there's 30 boats out there today where they bit yesterday, chances are they're not biting there today anyways. You know, I, I go fishing every chance you can, you know, I, I mean, you can catch them when the water temperature is 40. I was just out on Skakui and the water temperature is 38, 39 degrees. It probably 
was in the mid 40s earlier that week before this big front came through and we still caught fish was ideal no it would have been nice if the weather was better sure but you know if i could control that i would be doing something more important with my life i always joke with people you know that you know just go when you can i mean i you know you look at summer spring fall winter i mean there's gonna be good windows all through that there's no i wish it was that simple you know may 1st water temperature is 50 degrees and that's when they're gonna i mean it's it's not that simple just go when you can if you have the day off fish <laughs> if you don't have the day off fish <laughs> i don't disagree all right so let's see uh for minnesota this is a specific question of Minnesota walleye populations. What is your guys' thought on the population and what are maybe some of the better bodies of water for people to hit? Well, I, I think, uh, Ben, right now, and I guess it's a Minnesota-specific question, but I'm going to speak even larger than that. I think the fish populations, uh, especially walleye as a whole, are better all across the walleye belt than they've ever been. Uh, I fish coast to coast for walleyes tournament fishing and have been on some of the best bodies of water in every state, more specifically Minnesota, Lake of the Woods, Leech Lake. Jason, I know you filmed some shows there recently, the last couple yeah. of years, uh, Lake of the Woods, even Mille Lacs Lake, right? Uh, populations are incredible. I have had some of the best fishing I've ever seen the last three or four years in Minnesota. Uh, obviously, Mille Lacs, interesting with what you can keep and can't keep, but if you just want an incredible walleye experience, catch and release, it's off the chart. Mm -hmm. uh, Leech Lake, incredible. Uh, Red Lake, Minnesota, phenomenal, phenomenal fishery right now. And Lake of the Woods and the Rainy River, uh, I don't know if it's ever been better. Uh, I fished some tournaments there the last couple of years where uh, you're throwing back 27, 28 inch fish almost one after the other, trying to catch that elusive one over 28 inches so you can put it in the live well and weigh it in. And it's really hard to go home mad after a tournament when you handled 25 fish that were six pounds or bigger. Uh, who cares how you finish? You, you had a phenomenal day. So I would say uh, if you fish in Minnesota a lot right now and can't find a place to go fishing, you're just not looking very hard because uh, all the bodies of water I mentioned and then throw the Mississippi River in on top of that and – you've got some of the best walleye fishing opportunities in the nation right now in Minnesota. That's great. Yeah. All right. So Southern state walleye. So let's pick on, you know, you know, based off our store locations, I'm not sure what the walleye population is like in Texas, but let's start at like Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa. Do you guys see a difference with those fish versus the Northern fish, like in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, do you guys see a difference? Yeah, in I, I do. I mean, a lot more, a lot of it's reservoir fishing, you know, like in Kansas and, uh, you know, even Iowa, you know, there's some great fishing on some of these small rivers in Iowa, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's some of that stuff's kind of under the radar, but uh, especially look at the reservoirs, you know, a lot of them are, can be kind of turbid and then uh, a lot of them are, are shad driven, you know, and so uh, it's a different type of forage base. And then also some of them, you know, like in Kansas, you know, some of those fisheries, you know, you have wipers and you have some different predator-prey relationships too. And so, you know, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of channel edges, you know, if you find brush piles, points, things like that, but it's just, you know, a lot of typical uh, reservoir type fishing. And, uh, and and I think it probably surprises people how good of fishing there is in place. You know, obviously McConaughey is famous in Nebraska, but there's a there's some other lakes or reservoirs specifically in Nebraska and Kansas that uh, nothing to sneeze at. There's some really really good fishing in some of those places. Mm -hmm. There's some really nice sauger in some of those reservoirs as well. So yep, yep. I think technically they stock sawgai in some of them actually because they do better in the turbid reservoirs. So yep, Johnson Reservoir, Elwood Reservoir. Yep. All right, so this is a good one. What technique did you guys think was nuts, but it actually worked? Without giving away your secret. <laughs> I don't know. First one that comes to my mind was uh, when we first started fishing jigging wraps in open water, right? Uh, I, I got sucked in that uh, the jigging wraps or the horizontal gliding jigging baits that we all fished under the ice forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I watch a guy win $80,000 of which a lot of it was mine in a tournament. Right. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second, I better look at this a little bit harder. Right. Uh, uh, you know, and it taught me a valuable lesson that we can't pigeonhole any technique. Right. 
yeah. uh, whether it's drop shotting, which is a bass fishing technique, or or throwing suspending jerk baits that again most people look at as a bass fishing technique. But I've caught hundreds and hundreds of walleyes on both of those techniques. So uh, I would say, no matter what the technique, uh, no matter how crazy you think it is, if it imitates a bait fish then any game fish will eat it. Mm -hmm. And you got to put walleye right in that category. So, yeah, there's lots of crazy things I've seen catch them. And I'm sure Jason has some great uh, guide stories. He, he loves to tell those guide stories about the craziest way to catch a walleye. I'm sure he could keep us busy all night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, I grew up, um, you know, you look back like in the 80s, for example, you know, at least, you know, out here is, you know, a lot of back trolling, you know, in drift socks, you know, the trolling motors weren't as good then. And, and it was all, you know, a lot of it was using live bait rigs where you had a lindy rig, you know, you had the bail open finger on the line and be just crawling across structure really slow. And then, uh, you know, and then you obviously using bottom bouncers, but uh, it was a lot of live bait type stuff. And then we didn't have line counters. We didn't have braided line or anything like that. So we did a lot of trolling with cranks, but it was let out the lure until it hit the bottom. It was pounding the bottom too hard. You reeled it up, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, we didn't have the contour maps and things like that. And, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know at the time. But I remember uh, for myself, you know, you know, like using jigs and minnows in the spring, you know, whether it was on a river, or on a lake or whatever. And then when some of the soft plastics kind of came into the scene and the gulp and stuff like that, you know, and I thought, well, why would a walleye ever hit that when minnows taste better, they smell better, you know. And obviously, if you have that in your head, you'll find examples to prove it because there's times where live bait works better than than an artificial or soft plastic, what have you, you know. But uh, I remember, you know, just getting over that hurdle, you know, say it was you know probably 25 years ago now, but I remember that was a, a, a one that I probably pushed back and resisted for a long time, probably way too long. Um, you know, I just thought you had to have live bait, you know, and even uh, I remember as a guide one time running out of leeches and putting gulp on a plain snell behind a bottom bouncer and catching fish like that, thinking, oh my, what has the world come to? <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen, you know, but then when you're guiding, you see all kinds of stuff. I learned to keep my mouth shut. Don't have, if somebody pulls something out of their tackle, you always catch them out, you know, in Canada on this thing. Well, we're not in Canada. Keep your mouth shut because they're going to put it on. They're going to catch fish if you say anything. And, and what a great learning experience. I, I, I can't tell you how many things that I learned from people that didn't listen, that, you know, did something completely off the wall that I would have never done in my boat almost against my will like they were resisting me or whatever and, and well talk about a great lesson you know so yeah there's always something to learn with fishing yep, yep. now do either one of you guys fish from a kayak or have from you from a fished? kayak yep I do not i haven't no no you guys got the, the, the boats all right there's a lot of places i'd like to though yeah <laughs> there's some great places i i look at all the time thinking, oh that would be a spot to put a kayak into yeah. especially you know yeah there's some Great places for it, no doubt. Carry your kayak in your boat. All right. Yeah. So, best starter walleye tips. I know that's best a very, starter. Yep. Yep. It's a pretty wide open question on that one, but oh, and actually, how about both of you guys answer? Because I mean, you guys, I highly doubt you're going to talk about the exact same thing on this one. Go ahead, Johnny. Rod, reel, bait, oh, lures. Yeah, uh, I would say pick pick something that. Uh, that's in your wheelhouse and try to get good at one thing first. Uh, don't, don't try to learn all of walleye fishing right out of the gate. Uh, there's a lot of stuff and, and I'm sure Jason would agree. I'm still learning, right? Uh, I just got back from a tournament in the Detroit river in Michigan and what I saw out there blew my mind and I caught fish using jigs and tails that I never thought I'd use in my life. So try not to learn it all at once. I would say, uh, Probably go out and get a nice middle of the road uh, rod and reel combo. I would suggest a six and a half or seven foot spinning rod, probably medium power and a fast action tip. I would spool a, a nice spinning reel with probably 10 pound braided line. And you've got a, an outfit that you can jig fish with. You could live bait rig fish with, probably pull a bottom bouncer, cast a crankbait boy, and then go find a teacher. Uh, don't try to do it all on your own. There's plenty of people out there that enjoy sharing their fishing knowledge. Mm -hmm. I know I'm one. I know Jason is one. Uh, and if you can't find us personally, you can find us online, YouTube, Facebook videos, you name it. There, there's a lot of places to learn from. 
Uh, I watch a lot of people, I don't know if you want to call it stubbornness, but they want to do it all on their own. Uh, spend a couple bucks and hire a fishing guide on your favorite fishing lake, right? Mm -hmm. If it's Devil's Lake or Lake of the Woods or anywhere in between, uh, hire a guide for a day, pay a few dollars and pay really, really good attention to what you do that day and then go try to do it on your own. Uh, lots of ways to shorten the learning curve and not get frustrated. But I watch a lot of anglers. They, they spend a lot of money, but they don't know what on. Uh, they, they waste a lot of effort and then they get very frustrated because their results are not what they want them to be. And then they quit. Mm -hmm. They just give up because they don't have success right out of the gate. Well, go find some help, have success early, and then build on your success. And I think you'll enjoy fishing much, much longer that way. Very good. Jason? Yeah, I would say, you know, keep it simple. Um, here's the thing is that if you're in the right place at the right time, you can do a lot of things wrong. Okay, you can have the wrong presentation, you can do this wrong, you have the wrong color, whatever. And so just focus on, you know, being on top of fish and finding fish. And, you know, uh, obviously there's community spots that, you know, that are pretty common knowledge or that everybody knows about. Chances are if you go to a bait and tackle shop, for example, in your local area, wherever you live, you know, they're going to be able to point you in the right direction. That's going to be a tremendous resource. Uh, you know, and, and just go out there just for this, just for the sole purpose of trying to learn and catch fish and, you know, and keep it simple. You know, don't get hung up on, you know, oh, do I have to use an orange blade or a blue blade or I got to use a green crank or whatever. Don't worry about that stuff. Just keep it simple because chances are if there's a lot of fish below you, none of that stuff's going to matter. And if you talk to 10 different people at the end of the day, they're all going to give you 10 different answers. And so mm -hmm. keep it simple. And the other thing is, is don't be afraid to, travel to where there's some good fish populations you're only as good as the water that you're on i get probably 10 to 15 emails a week from people that you know hey i have a cabin in bullhead lake and you know in southern iowa and i i've lived here for 20 years on, on a cabin on this lake and i haven't ever caught a walleye over 20 inches you know like do you have any tips I'm like yeah you should go down the road to another lake because if they're there you would have seen them by now you can't catch fish that aren't there and so like you know talking about malax earlier if you know i don't know if there's a better lake to learn a lot of different tactics right like like you take something as simple as a slip bob or you take a i mean you could take two cinder blocks and tie them together and anchor your boat you know <laughs> and get up on a reef or something and throw a slip bobber you know along the edges of some boulders on a you know some of these sunken reefs and you, know, you might catch a smallmouth you might catch walleyes whatever but you're gonna you know catch some fish and you know talk about a great opportunity to learn rigging uh trolling slip bobbers bottom bouncers three-way rigging i mean you could learn it all on Malax alone, you know, and so uh, that would be my suggestion: is keep it simple. Try to make a trip or two to some good water if you don't live near good water, and that'll really escalate the learning curve because you're gonna have more fish underneath, you have more chances. So, very good. All right. So, what do you guys do, or what's the trigger for you to figure out? Hey, it's time to move. You know, I fish this point. This point's not producing. Let's go to a ledge. Let's go to a flat. I mean, what what does that cadence look like for you guys? I don't waste a lot of time uh, on an unproductive spot, especially with modern day technology. Uh, you should know if there's a fish near you before you ever start fishing now. Uh, I'm a hummingbird guy, uh, but I think it translates across all brands of marine electronics. I see things nowadays that were at science fiction movies 20 years ago. Uh, there's no reason why you're fishing water that doesn't have a fish in it. And every angler has two or three confidence presentations and I'll throw my two or three confidence baits or presentations at a spot. And if I don't get a result right away, I move to the next spot. Uh, it doesn't take long to spend an hour uh, at a spot. Well, you do that four or five times in a day and you're not very productive. All of a sudden you're looking at your watch saying, wow, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and I only planned on fishing till four and I don't feel like I've done much. Well, mm -hmm. because you probably haven't. So uh, I, if there's an active fish there, they usually show themselves fairly quickly. And I, again, I trust my electronics to tell me if there's fish there before I even put a bait or a lure in the water to start. Very good. Jason, would you like to echo that? Yeah, you know, I, I think it depends on the situation. You know, say if I'm on a point, for example, or, you know, in every, in lakes fish a lot different than reservoirs or rivers, for example, like this time of year, fish are moving so much. You get in the middle of July on say like a natural lake, for example, and say you're fishing along the edge of a weed line or whatever it is, 
uh, I find the fish don't move as much. They'll move, but not nearly as much as what you see like on a river or on a reservoir. And, you know, say if you're in a spot where, say, you caught 30 fish the day before and you get there and it's not happening right away, I find that I'm better off slowing down and just letting things happen. You know, these fish might have slid 100 yards. They might be down the shoreline or whatever, but I find that, um, you know, there's kind of a balance between waiting out fish, if you know there's fish there, and then trying to find fish. There's an old saying, you know, don't leave fish to find fish, too. And I tell you what, that's the million-dollar question. There's times where we all leave fish that we shouldn't have thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be better somewhere else. And you bounce around two or three spots. Then you come back to where you start and you catch a few. You're thinking, oh, why did I ever leave here? You know, I knew they were here. But at the same time, uh, where you fish dictates your strategy too. For example, on Devil's Lake, you know, and there's a lot of places where, you know, we don't have the boats that you might have, like, say, on a Mille Lacs or someplace in Minnesota where mm -hmm. I can leave a spot and I can hit maybe three, four spots quick just to sample some water and see if anybody's home and see if there's any easy fish. And I can slide back to that spot because I know that nobody's been there, okay? Whereas you take a good spot on Mille Lacs and you leave it hit three or four spots. And when you leave it, you're looking over and you can see two or three boats sliding in on it. You're not going to be able to get in there later on and you're not going to be able to rest that spot. And so I like to rest spots and kind of manage spots that way where, you know, um, I it's just my little theory and I, you know, whatever you know just something that's in my head but you know there's only you know there's a few fish that move up on a spot say it's a point say four or five fish move up in a spot over an hour period okay you can sit there and wait them out and catch them which is like watching paint dry which if you've got people in your boat guiding you know they're not going to be that patient or you can hit one or two spots and go back to it and catch the same amount of fish okay but that only works if you can rest it and nobody's fishing it while you're gone and so that's you know that kind of dictates part of that strategy as well so very good. Now, is there a difference in techniques between sauger and walleye? Sauger are usually deeper and they're in faster water. Same baits typically. Oh yeah, I mean if you're fishing like say a you know, you say you're fishing a river channel and it's faster water, you might be using say a one ounce jig where the walleyes are up on the seam more and they're you know, you're using a quarter ounce jig. And so you catch them together, obviously, but mm -hmm. you know, catch wall or sauger all the time fishing for walleyes you know but if you're just target saga usually they're deeper you know usually they're more in the channel even on sakakui or oahi you know they're deeper usually very good so what is your guys's go-to lure for walleye hell or high water you get the opportunity to go out fishing you've got two hours to fish 20 minutes to fish whatever it might be what is that lure tied on John? boy that's a loaded question because uh <laughs> I, I don't know if there is one lure that does it all. Uh, the last couple of years for me, uh, I'm going to have a quarter ounce jig and a three and a half inch white swim bait. Uh, I love the Shields Pro Swimmers, maybe a Berkeley Ripple Shad, something with a, a paddle tail on it. Uh, the quarter ounce jig, I've caught fish in three feet of water and I've caught fish in 30 feet of water if I have the patience to let it sink that far. And that white swim bait, uh, I don't know what it is. The color white seems to be pretty universal. Lake to lake, river to river, stream to stream. Uh, and again, a, a leadhead jig, you can fish it fast, you can fish it slow, you can cast it, you control it, you can jig it straight up and down. I would have to say if I had to pick one for the rest of my life, uh, that would probably be the one, but I sure hope I never have to pick just one because there's so many different scenarios that, you know, a, another bait would be better, but that would be my one, I would say. Yeah, I would say probably a jig too, you know, quarter ounce jig with a, you know, pro swimmers, awesome, you know, any type of paddle tail, even a, you know, twister tail. I mean, they're, uh, uh, kind of that's kind of old school, but um, or they, you, know, you, you don't hear people talk about it as much anymore. But uh, that's pretty tough to beat. Where if you had to catch fish, say from now until November, that's one thing you could probably catch one because, like Johnny said, you, you can throw it up into three feet of water, you, you drag it in 25 feet of water. Mm -hmm. But uh, be tough to beat that, you know. Then, you know, the other thing too, from just a simplicity standpoint, especially like I say, if you're fishing the Missouri River reservoirs, um, you know, Lake of the Woods, Malax, you know, it's tough to beat a bottom monster. You know, I mean, for just, I mean, just a bottom bouncer, three foot snail, you can put a slow death hook on with a half crawler, you can put a octopus hook with a minnow, whatever. I mean, that's pretty tough to beat too, you know, as far as just, you know, one ounce for every 10 feet of water is a rule of thumb. It's pretty bulletproof, simple and easy. And it seems like it always catches fish. So. Very good. All right. How about some shore fishing tactics for walleye? 
I know you guys are in, in boats most times, but I'm sure there's times that you're also beating the bank. You know, I well, grew up hard, shore fishing hard, a lot as a kid. Yeah, hard to beat a sinker and a hook and a bucket of bait. I mean, that's that's what I did a lot too. Uh, a lot of little streams, rivers, shorelines. I mean, I think Jason and I both, when you're younger and you don't have someone to take you fishing, you got on your bike and you pedaled down to the closest mud hole that might have had a fish in it and that's how I fished. It was either a bobber with a hook and a split shot or a, a sinker on the bottom with a some kind of snell and, and a and a hook and a piece of bait. And boy, it, it still works today. I watch hundreds and hundreds of walleyes get caught off the shoreline at Devil's Lake every spring, either throwing a bobber out from the shore or some kind of live bait rig sitting on the bottom and letting the bait wiggle around until a fish comes by. It's what is it? Uh, the kiss method method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And mm-hmm. it, it effective from the bank for sure yeah and, and the other thing with with shore fishing I mean, there's some really good shore fishing too so don't discount or don't think oh i don't have an opportunity to catch nice fish because i don't have a boat because there's some tremendous fishing opportunities like like especially in the spring and in the fall you know like around some of the causeways it doesn't matter if you're in northeast or in south dakota even uh in northern iowa uh i mean there's places all through minnesota where if you have water moving back and forth between two systems uh a little bit of current you know those shiners pulling there especially in the fall and, you know, if you take like an egg sinker, and I like to put it like a shorter snell, like say a foot and a half snell, and then like a, a floating jig head, and uh, you can use either a leech or a minnow, and that's one way you can also throw jigs with soft plastics. I mean, there's times where we throw like floating rappels, number 11s, husky jerks, things like that, and catch, I mean, some of the first big walleyes I ever caught by myself were from shore fishing off of uh, Sakakawea by Snake Creek, where they were letting water out of Lake Audubon in the fall, I would go down there and spend the night down there and cast all night, you know, and, and, uh, caught some really big fish that way. So it's, um, yeah, it brings back a lot of good memories. Good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We've got six pages guys. <laughs> all right. With windy conditions, how many positions will always take up on a weed line at one time? So windy conditions and weed lines. Who wants to go? You want to answer this, Johnny? Or I'm I'm not a big fan of fishing weeds in the wind. Uh, I I've seen it work, but I struggle fishing weeds in the wind. Number one, they're hard to see visually because the wind knocks them over. And I have a theory that says fish don't really like those weeds moving around a lot. Uh, I'm not so sure that. Big walleye like to sit in the weeds and feel what they're hiding in moving around them. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm basing that just on my personal opinions and my successes, but I seem to have a lot better luck personally fishing weed edges when it's calm out. And I, I truly believe the biggest factor is because I can see the weeds better when it's not windy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying fish don't use them in the wind because I'm sure they do. But uh, I think a weed edge generally is like any other edge. Uh, Points and cups are much better than the straight edges. And that is definitely amplified in the wind, right? The the more wind that comes up, I think the more fish move into those ambush points, you know, the tips of points, the cups of the weeds. Uh, But again, on a really windy day, I'd probably rather find a a windblown shoreline, maybe some rocks, something with a mud line. I have a little more confidence fishing those areas in wind than I do weeds. Yeah, my experience is similar. I mean, I don't like wind that's so strong where the weeds are moving. I don't think walleyes like things touching them. You know, and even flooded timber can be that way. If you get really strong wind where you can see the trees moving, get out of there. Those fish are going to push out. You know, a lot of times they'll actually push them deeper, which doesn't, you know, you'd think that, you know, wind always makes walleyes move shallow, but in weeds, I think they pushes them out. And, uh, but at the same time, it's just a light, light ripple. A lot of times if it's on a really tough day where it's really flat out and you get a little bit of ripple where you just feel on your neck and you see little puffs going across the lake, I mean, a lot of times I'm running to cabbage because it just takes just the littlest ripple that's like that cabbage leaf gets that debris stuck to the leaves and it'll cloud the water slightly. Just the littlest, even boat wakes will do that. And so sometimes if it's really flat and clear and calm, you get a little bit of ripple. I'm running to wherever there's weed lines because you'll just see a stain in the water where you can see down, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet, whatever. And you get up in some cabbage and just like a haze of where you, where you can't see down. And, and so that saved my tail 
a lot of days, you know, so I think it just depends on the veracity of the wind and, and, uh, but as a rule of thumb too, if it's really hard rock and blowing wind, I like a hard bottom. Very good. All right. All right. Let's see. So with the, uh, the year, I mean, the last several months here, we've been almost in the drought conditions. There's going to be quite a bit of lack of runoff unless we get some, some great rains coming on here. What do you guys think that's going to do this coming year? with the low runoff or lack of runoff, I should say, even. Go ahead, Jason. Well, it's going to vary tremendously from system to system. You know, you get east of the Red River in those environments, those ecosystems are a lot more static where Mille Lacs might go down a foot, it might go up a foot, but it's, it's you know, you don't have the dramatic changes that you have, like on, like, say, a Lake Oahe or a Fort Peck or a Sakakawi or even Devil's Lake, you know, it's kind of, in this dry cycle where the lake's been dropping from its high. And uh, in my mind, you know, you have that high water, you know, like I remember Sakakui a couple of years ago, I mean, the water is so high. I mean, it was like, there, you see picnic tables in the water. I mean, it's just like, it just, all kinds of stuff was in the water. And it seemed like a lot of times I would push fish up really shallow up in the backs of the bays and stuff like that. And even on Devil's Lake with the high water, you know, it seemed like it held more fish shallow. And uh, without that runoff, you know, Devil's Lake's going to fish a lot differently, for example, going down than it did coming up, you know, where it's going to be a lot more, uh, you know, I like boulder fields and boulder piles offshore, uh, really nice, snaggy, complex brush piles that are offshore. You know, I think a lot of those fish pull out into that type of stuff, you know, and you'll see more fish pull out into the basin type structure mm -hmm. uh, with water or dropping water. But every, you know, every year is different, um, you know. I remember when Sakakuya first came up, you know, it came up like 25 feet. And what was weird is that those fish didn't go shallow that first summer. It's like they were still in the same spots, but now instead of being in 15 feet of water, they're in 40 feet of water, you know. And so it's like they didn't react to it the way that, you know, I anticipated, you know. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you got to go out and fish to know, you know, and every year is going to be different. You know, you can say whatever you want right now, but, you know, you got to eliminate that, you know, just go through the process of elimination. As a rule of thumb, high water and shallow fish, dropping water, those fish are going to pull out of that shallow water. Johnny, would you like to add something? Yeah, I think, uh, I think once the spring is over, we probably won't notice as much difference. Uh, obviously, springtime, current, walleye, uh, they, they like to head to current. And without runoff, we may see less current in some of our favorite bodies of water. Like Jason said, it, it doesn't really matter where you're at. Uh, you know, the, we're, we're typically used to rainy season, melting snow, runoff, and current. And current positions fish in places that we expect them to be. So maybe your early spring fishing, you're going to have to look in places that you might not normally look. But I think by summertime, Jason's spot on, right? It's, it's a rule of thumb. When the water's high, you look shallow. When the water's falling or, or low, you look a little bit further away from the shore. And you're, you're going to stumble into them, but... Uh, I learned a long, long time ago, and I think probably because I've lived on Devil's Lake for a while, no two years are exactly alike ever. And about the time you expect them to be where they were the year before, you're going to get burnt. So you have to wake up every morning, look at the conditions you're faced with, and go make decisions that make sense and, and try to find fish where you think they would be. Very good. All right, technical question here. Uh, motor won't go under 2.5 miles an hour. What would a lead core setup allow me to troll 25 foot of water at that higher speed? Yeah, you just got to let out more line. Is there any good resource books out there or YouTube videos or anything you guys would recommend for some of these people? I mean, I've, I have struggled my entire life with lead core, uh, but I have heard rumblings that there is a book out there, like an old school lead core book. Well, the kind of the old adage is at two miles an hour, you're getting about with, with was it 18 pound lead core, which is usually what I use, getting about eight feet of depth for every color of lead core. And if you speed up, you know, say you speed up to two and a half miles an hour, 2.3, whatever it is, you know, you might get five feet. So you just have to let out more colors. But at the end of the day, just let out lead core until it starts to slap the bottom and then reel it up until you can just feel the vibration of the lure. If that you can feel that lead core, if it's slap on the bottom, you just you just feel that. Mm -hmm. You got way too much line out, reel it up until you start to feel that lure vibrating again. And if you're using a line counter, just see where you're at. At, at the end of the day, I mean that's 
you know, because sometimes you pull lead core at two and a half, three miles an hour. I mean, that was an old Ron Seal op trick that he did for years, you know, uh, letting out a lot of lead and in, in, in trolling fast, you know, small baits. And so uh, it, it can definitely work. And if you want to slow down even more, you know, I mean, you could always, you know, put something over the side of the boat, even like a drift sock, you know, or I've seen people even use like a five gallon bucket just to knock some speed off, you know. And so you can definitely, you can definitely pull lead core. Um, but it, the thing is, too, is that I think sometimes people live and die by these uh, formulas or these charts too much because every line counter reel is different. If you don't have it filled up, it's going to be different. It's, you know, so you're going to have to find your own formula, your own system. You know, how you have your rod holders positioned is going to be different for each person. You know, if you have your rod holders high, for example, you have to let out more lead core than the person has a rod holders low, you know. And so find out your own system. Don't get hung up on the charts. Just let it out until it slaps. Reel it up. See where you're at. And say if you start marking fish up higher, reel it up even more until you catch fish. And then see where you're at. And that's your reference point. So. Very good. All right. At what point do you consider the water too rough to fish? Johnny? Depends how much you hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some tournament directors over the years that don't think the water's ever too rough to fish, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I don't like risking life or limb to catch a walleye. Uh, and every person has their own comfort level. Uh, I would bet that if Jason and I said, hey, let's take three days and go fish together, I don't know if there'd be too much that would keep us off the water. We're pretty seasoned guys. Uh, we know what you can and can't do in rough water. We know how to find a place out of the wind to catch a fish. And we've both got countless hours behind the steering wheel or holding on to a, a tiller handle operating our equipment in rougher water. Uh, I grew up on the Great Lakes where a six or seven foot wave uh, wasn't necessarily unmanageable in the right conditions, but Lake Sakakawea with a 45 mile an hour wind is a completely different story. So uh, I think there's a lot of variables in there. I would say if you're uncomfortable at all with the conditions, don't go because you do not want to put yourself in a spot where you're hesitant. Mm -hmm. It's when you hesitate in those conditions that you're going to get yourself in trouble and for some people that might be a 15 mile an hour wind they they may not have a large boat they may not feel comfortable in white caps and that's fine don't go if you're not comfortable and i would also say don't play superman either uh, i've said it to guide clients more than once they're only fish right it's just a fish and it's really not worth risking your life to catch a fish. But again, every person has different comfort levels, different skill levels. And uh, some guys are, are great anglers in those conditions. And, uh, and you can fish in 20, 25 mile hour winds without too much trouble if you yep. do it right. Yep. Yeah, I just try to avoid it. I mean, I, I've been on plenty of six foot waves and whatever. And uh, like when I was guiding, you know, it's, you know you're, you're probably not gonna make any money that day because you're gonna break something, you know, you're gonna wreck your equipment. And, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of times when the wind's howling and it's really rough conditions, but you just get out of the wind, you know, maybe it's something where you're fishing on Skakwe and you run down to the tail race or you run to a small lake that's sheltered, you know, or like on Devil's Lake, we have so many little bays and nooks and crannies and stuff where I can't tell you how many times I came back to the fish cleaning, you know, shack, wherever we're cleaning some fish, we're like, oh, I can't believe you went out today. And they only knew how easy we had it. You know, we went 300 yards from the dock and the wind was <laughs> blown over our heads. We didn't even hardly know it was blown. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I figure there's no sense in wrecking your busting up your equipment. You know, it's, I mean, I've seen kickers come off boats and you name it. And it's, yeah, I'd rather find a calm place and fish. Very good. Very all right, so the Minnesota walleye opener. If you guys were to be fishing this coming up, what would be the lure tied on? Jigging a shiner in a lot of places in Minnesota. Big shiner, little yeah. shiner? Yeah, let the fish tell you. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, jigs and shiners, uh, slip bobber and a leech, hard to beat on uh, a nice shallow rock pile somewhere, Minnesota opener. If you're really gung-ho and you want to be that guy that casts your line out right when the clock strikes midnight, 
Uh, you're going to want a lighted bobber and a bucket of leeches someplace. Uh, that that's that works great. Um, I kind of miss openers. Uh, North Dakota doesn't have a close season where I live, but man, I've fished a lot of Minnesota openers. I think Jason, you have too, the governor's opener several times with different sponsors and man, even though it's not my opener, there's just something about an opening day that gets me fired up. And I don't even really care what lure I have on. It's just kind of cool to see everybody get excited to go fishing on opening day. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like Christmas when you go to Minnesota for opening day. <laughs> it's a big just, deal. It's absolutely incredible to see everybody get that fired up to finally put their line in the water to try to catch a walleye. And uh, I, I kind of miss that a little bit. I wish I was going to be involved this year with the Minnesota opener. It's a lot of fun. Jason? Yeah, I would say a jig and a shiner in a lot of places, you know, especially northern Minnesota. You know, you get from, say, you know, Brainerd North, you know, a lot of that water, you know, jigging a shiner. And, you know, last summer, the shiners are hard to come by, you know. So there's times where you use rainbows or fatheads too, you know. But a jig and a minnow um, is pretty tough to beat, whether you're on Mille Lacs, Leech Lake, Vermilion, Capicona, or Capitogama. I mean, it's uh, pretty tough to beat a jig and a minnow. Very good. All right, so what kind of electronics do you guys have on your boats right now? What kind of what? Electronics. Okay, I run Lorances, HDSs. Yeah, and I've got uh, Humminbird Helix units in my boat. Very good. What's the favorite favorite part of those? Obviously, since there are two of them, I mean, we got enough customers out there that are probably could be, you know, is it Lorance? Is it Hummingbird? What do I go with? What's yeah, the, I mean, for for me, I like I like the the Lorance for finding fish, for marking fish. I feel really confident in what I'm seeing. I real, feel really confident gauging the size of the fish, um, and I like the speed of the orientation of the boat positioning on the plotter or the chart, you know, on the gra on the on the map itself. And so, for boat control and stuff, I think um, you know that's that's one of the things I like about Lorance. But I can tell you, I mean, I think all of them are making a really good unit right now. It doesn't matter if it's Lorance, Garmin, Hummingbird. Uh, they're all pretty legit at this point so it comes down to um just personal preference of what you're used to using with the menus and things like that but uh yeah for for the speed of the gps and and really identifying fish i i love those hds carbon units yeah for, for me it's the uh it's the one boat network johnson outdoors so you got hummingbird mincota uh you put it all together it integrates so well and I can literally drive my trolling motor. I can deploy my trolling motor if I'm using the, the Minn Kota Altera. I can put my Minn Kota Talon in and out. And I can do it from any head unit in the boat. I can do it from any remote in the boat. I can save waypoints with my trolling motor handheld remote. I can steer my trolling motor from my Humminbird depth finder. No matter where I'm at in the boat, I can reach a button to, to operate every piece of equipment that's connected to each other. And uh, I think Johnson Outdoors has done an incredible job with uh, trolling motors that drive themselves, spot lock, follow contours, autopilots, cruise controls, all that. And, and just having it all networked together uh, just makes a ease of operation absolutely incredible. We're all great anglers when we don't have to drive a boat. And... Humminbird and Minn Kota have come out with ways that you don't have to drive your boat if you don't want to. It'll drive itself. Very it's nice. pretty incredible. All right, so let's talk about live bait. There's a lot of live bait questions here. Uh, you know, we have already talked about pretty much everything at this point, but is there certain times of the year that you find that leeches work better versus shiners or minnows versus crawlers or even just a, a straight plastic at that point? I use plastics whenever I can, just for the convenience of it. Um, you know, I'm kind of a plastics first, live bait second, if I if I if I can. But uh, I think there's kind of an old age-old assumption, if you will, that you know, you start out with minnows early, then night crawlers and leeches. You know, it's progression. But what I find like on Devil's Lake is that I like to use leeches as soon as I can get them. You know, another couple of weeks. You know, I'll be using leeches on Devil's Lake. And uh, some of us that we have a lot of white bass and pike in the lake that. Uh, you seem to catch more of if you're using minnows or if you use leeches, you'll still catch an occasional white bass, you'll still catch pike, but it just seems like it keeps some of those other species away. But, uh, you know, even in Minnesota, you know, Mille Lacs and stuff, I'll use leeches on slip uppers right away. And people say, oh, they curl up when it's cold or whatever, but hook them in the middle and on a single hook and, you know, they'll swim in cold water. And so 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's in some of it, I think might be psychological. Again, if you're in the right place, you can use the wrong bait. You know, I mean, it's kind of early in the year where we've caught fish on crawlers and whatever. And so I don't know if fish probably worry about it as much as we do at times. You know, it's just a deal where, you know, midsummer you see more of that traditional crawler bite and you see the leeches all summer. But I think you talk to 10 different people, you get 10 different answers. So Very good. All right. So the dog days of summer, where are you guys searching for walleye? Well, first of all, I don't believe in the dog days of summer. Uh, uh, metabolism may slow down a little bit for walleyes, but uh, I've proven it to myself and had other people prove it to me that I try to use the dog days of an excuse for not catching and I go to the fish cleaning station or I go to the tournament weigh scale and there's a bigger basket than mine or a dad and a grandpa and his son cleaning a limit of walleye when I blamed it all on the dog days and couldn't catch them. So uh, I've kind of tried to throw that out of my head and don't let August and early September get me down just because the calendar says it's the dog days of summer. That being said, uh, it does seem like you have to make some adjustments. I think the reason that August and September get so hard to catch fish is because there's such an abundance of food in just about every system we can name that time of year. Everything that hatched in the spring by August is big enough for a walleye to consider it a meal, right? So early in the spring, it's all really big bait and not a whole lot of it. And everything hatches and it grows and grows and grows. And all of a sudden, by the middle of August, all these young of the year perch, young of the year white bass, young of the year bluegills and crappies depending on where you're at are now a meal and there's so much of it that it's really hard for us to convince a walleye to eat something that's not real so it gets challenging that way as far as locations yeah water temperature can dictate that uh, a lot of times you might have to go a little deeper uh, maybe further into the weeds uh, i love fishing shallow weeds in the dog days of summer i know a lot of people say wow why would you go in seven or eight feet of water but if you've ever swam in a natural lake and walked or waded through a weed bed and feel the water temperature drop when you get inside a bed of cabbage or broad-leafed weeds you will understand why walleye stay in eight feet of water in a weed bed in the middle of summer so i might look a little deeper i might look into the weeds cover to, for shade. But the biggest thing is changing your presentations to mimic what they want to eat. And that usually means going with smaller lures than what you really think you need to. And I know Jason does that a lot. He, I think you did a TV show, Jason, last year or the year before trolling small salmon hornets in shallow water in the middle of August, right? Uh, I, I know that's one of the things you love to do. Uh, yeah. And you got to give them the baits the size of bait that they want. And it, it may not be what you're comfortable fishing with. Yeah, I find I do better fishing faster. You know, uh, um, yeah, I remember just, you know, being young where, you know, like when I was say like 20, 22 years old and you, know, you start out early in the year and you're fishing your traditional spots and you're having some success and it gets tough, right? And then, you know, the fish move, things change. And then, you know, just kind of struggling and that led to the dog days of summer and it just seemed like, um, and I was, you know, at that back then, you know, I like to use a Lindy rig, right? You like to use a jig and it was all about using the lightest line you could, the smallest hooks you could, bait, you know, and that was kind of the mentality at the time. And then, you know, I don't know how and where, why exactly, but, you know, I finally discovered that, wow, you know, I can run this two ounce bottom monster way faster than I ever imagined. And I'm getting the hardest strikes I've ever seen from a walleye, you know? And so um, that's probably the biggest adjustment I think that people, uh, sometimes um, it can be it can be challenges you learn to fish a certain way which you know like especially like with finesse and live bait you know jigs using the lightest line six pound test or whatever and then you know convincing yourself to run let's say two miles an hour with a lead bottom ball so it's like a big piece of clothes hanger and a three foot snell that's 20 pound test and a spinner on it and then on top of it you replace the crawler with a piece of gulp and it's like <gasps> you know and, and uh, you know that that can be a a hard adjustment. I know it was for me when I was young. And as soon as I discovered that, although I got a taste of it and got confidence in it, then it was like, whoa, you know. And so I find that for myself, midsummer, just fish fast. You know, if they're there, they're going to eat. 
And, uh, you know, I, people talk about triggering a reaction or maybe just warm enough where the fish react to you. I've seen it where you can fish with finesse in the summer when that water temperature is warm, and it's almost like the fish react to how you're fishing. If you're fishing real finesseful, you get these dainty little bites, and they, you know, and, and you just pull your hair out. You kick it down and speed, speed up, go heavier, go bigger, whatever, and all of a sudden it's just like wham, there ain't a doubt in your mind. There's a fish on, you know, and so yeah, for me is fish fast in the summer or dog days. Very good. All right, so we got some questions in regards to biggest fish, favorite fish. Uh, Jason, we're going to pick on you because obviously the, the audience can see the fish behind you. So can you explain <laughs> what's on your wall? And then, um, obviously we, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but most people probably realize what you let go last year could have been a potential state record, but talk about what, what fish you have mounted behind you. And then as well as like, what is the most memorable fish you've caught? Well, I think the, uh, if it's, a, if you can see a wall up in the corner, I was from Lake Winnipeg through the ice. And that was, I think, like three winters ago, back when we can still go to Canada. And then there's a pike behind me, too. And I think see, that pike came out of Canada, too, up by, uh, up way up in northern Canada, northern Manitoba by Thompson. But uh, those are just some replicas. I haven't, I haven't kept a fish in years. But uh, when we built our new headquarters, we had a few fish replicas made of just some, you know, just memorable fish that we had on television or whatever over the years. But, uh, um, yeah, and... You know, neat thing about it now is that there's so many big fish showing up. You know, the state record was just broken North Dakota here this spring, mm -hmm. you know, and, and goodness, we had the same record for, what was it, 50 years? I don't remember off the top of my head, but, uh, boy, there's a lot of nice fish getting caught around the country right now, it seems like. Look at, you know, that's one of the good things about social media is just following all these big fish getting caught. It's pretty cool. Yep. Johnny? Oh, biggest fish? I don't know. I've, I've caught some sturgeon that were rather large. Uh, it's a pretty big channel catfish in the Red River just north of Grand Forks. That's uh, always a fun place to go. I think I cracked 30 pounds once there. Uh, favorite fish, though, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm just getting older or I'm tired of being cold or a little bit of both. But I've been dabbling with some inshore saltwater stuff the last couple winters. And I don't know if there's a more fun fish on the planet to go after than a redfish in Venice, Louisiana. That's uh has become one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I start drooling about December 1st when I think about my trip down there in January every year. And uh, they're big, they're strong, they they eat pretty readily. And you fish for them with the same gear that I cast jigs with in Devil's Lake, North Dakota to catch a walleye. So uh, it's a little bit of everything. And then they're phenomenal when you put them on the grill at the end of the day. So. Uh, I would say my favorite fish the last couple years has been uh, has been the redfish inshore. But man, I I I like Jason when we first started this, right? The the tug is the drug. Is that is that the saying, right? I really don't care what pulls back. Uh, I just fished a walleye tournament to try to earn some money for my living in the Detroit River, and every sheephead I caught was just as much fun until I saw it as every walleye I caught, right? They wiggled hard, they pulled hard, the rod bent over, got me excited. And uh, yeah, there was a little disappointment when you see maybe not as desirable of a species come to the surface, but boy, for the eight or 10 seconds I was reeling it in, I thought for sure I had the tournament one. So as long as that rod's bent, I'm usually pretty dang happy. Very good. All right, so we are coming up. We got couple more questions. Maybe we just randomly pick these. I'm just going to target one of you two guys and we'll just 15, 10, 15 second questions. All right. So is a two-way rig a good method for walleye? Johnny. A two-way rig? Yep. I'm not sure if they're talking about using a three-way swivel or if they're talking okay, about yeah. a hooker. If we're talking a three-way, three-way swivel, absolutely yes. Uh, very versatile. Uh, put a sinker on the bottom, plain hook, crankbait, spinner on top. And if you really want to get crazy, take the sinker off where it's legal to fish two lures at a time and put a lead head jig. You can fish it anywhere. Very, very effective. Awesome. Jason, what do you do about boat traffic, a.k.a. jet skiers, water skiers? Ignore it. I mean, it's there the whole time. I mean, people, I don't think it matters to the fish. I think when you have lakes where there's a lot of that type of traffic the fish get used to it you know and just act like it doesn't bother you if you act like it bothers you they're going to do it more <laughs> so you just ignore it and just pretend it don't exist keep on fishing 
Very good. All right, personal question. What do you guys do when you're not fishing? Sleep. <laughs> I try to be a dad and a husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Make sure you have a place to sleep. Pretty yeah. much. All right, length of Snell on bottom bouncers, Johnny. Oh, if I'm running a spinner, 30 to 36 inches. No need to go longer. Uh, 30 to 36 gets it done day in and day out. Very good. Jason, floral or braid? Both. I like to use braid with a maybe a three to four foot fluorocarbon leader, depending on the water. Very good. Times in Alberta or not. All right, Johnny, a round jig or a flat or yeah, flat eye jig? Depends where I'm at. Uh, if I'm in a lake, round jig works just fine. If I'm in any kind of current, I like the flatter jigs. They cut the current better. All right, Jason, what drives fish to go deep versus staying shallow? Boy, it depends on the water. It, what drives me to go deep is if I can't catch them in shallow, right? I mean, there's all, all kinds of things. You can say it's the water temperatures, forage, whatever. But, I mean, even on lake, I mean, even places like Fort Peck where you have fish on Cisco's and stuff, I mean, you'll find fish up in the back bays in shallow water in the middle of summer. So if they're going up there to warm up, you know. And So I, w- I look at it as a process of elimination. Sometimes I think people make up their mind too much. You know, and just if they're not shallow, go deep. If you're deep and they're not deep, then go shallow. It doesn't matter what else is happening. So, very good. All right. Each one of you guys, I'd like to have you guys answer uh, this question. Just two, two points, but someone going to a brand new body of water, what are the top two things they need to keep in mind? Johnny, we'll start with well, you. you. You can't fit, you can't catch a fish that's not there. And we heard Jason say that before. If I'm going to a brand new body of water, I'm probably not going to drive out to the first point and drop a line down without doing some kind of investigating. Uh, I'm going to trust my electronics. Like Jason said, also, they're all good. Uh, I believe in my hummingbird graph. And if there's not a fish there, I'm probably not going to fish there because you can't catch one if it isn't underneath your boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and don't be afraid to try to get a feel for a fishery, you know, either from forums, uh, bait shops, whatever it is. I mean, I think anytime you go to a new fishery, don't be afraid to make a lot of phone calls. You know, do as much homework as you can. Look at, you know, even even maps, Google imagery, whatever it is, just get a feel for stuff. So that way when you start hearing things once you're there, you know, you can, uh, you kind of have an idea of where that's at and, and kind of get a feel for how that fishery lays out and how it fishes. So. Perfect. All right, last question. And I, either one of you guys can answer this one, but um, one of the guys who work with Brandon Stone and I experienced this. What do you guys do when you're fishing the mayfly hatch to get on the walleye? We were not successful. One fish, I think. Don't judge. A little hornet behind lead core or a small spinner with a half a crawler is my favorite presentations. Either yeah. really slow or really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I would say uh, slow death, which falls right into the play of Jason's small spinner with a tiny piece of crawler. Or the gaudiest, ugliest-looking crankbait I own. I don't even want it to look natural. I want it to stand out from the crowd and get that walleye's attention. Very good. All right. Well, we appreciate all the questions. We still have seven pages. Um, so we're going to do our best to make sure we, we bounce some of these questions off of Jason and Johnny here. And we got a bunch of experts as, as well in the Fargo store. And, I mean, just even in this room, there's multiple people that are big-time walleye fishermen. So, uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Matt real quick. He's going to announce the, the prize winners, and I'll wrap it up. Absolutely. Right on this paper is the big prize winners for tonight. There was actually a lot of questions in the Q&A on when are you going to do the drawing? When are you going to do the drawing? <laughs> so people are excited for this moment. So Drum roll. Pretty sure we have that effect. Do we? <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Alrighty, so for the $500 uh, Shields gift card, we have Jared M. from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So, All right, Jared. Way to go, Jared. Jared. Good job. Give you guys my address, too. <laughs> um, and then we have the $1,000 Shields gift card winner, um, and that is Scott W. from McKinney, Texas. Awesome. Oh. Congrats. That's job, awesome, Scott. guys. That's... Congratulations. Yes, very good. All right, so... We want to thank everybody, especially Jason and Johnny and uh, the previous host or guests we should, we've had this past week as well. Thank everybody for tuning in. 
we'll be rolling this off again. I'm not sure when the, uh, the next series is going to be coming. Hopefully August, September timeframe, which I'm extremely excited for because that means we're on the verge of some uh, bird hunting and some hunting season. And I uh, can't wait for that. But please make sure you guys are checking out the sale going on right now. You can see it at shields.com as well as going to any retail stores. We want to thank everybody. Good luck this fishing season. You just heard our night three coverage of the Shields Virtual Fish Series featuring Jason Mitchell and Johnny Candle talking all things walleye. They give a bunch of great tips and tricks, but we weren't able to answer all the questions that night. So we've got a bonus segment in our podcast, which you can find next in the playlist. If you're looking for additional walleye content, we've got quite a few other podcasts covering this topic too. We've got people like Jaden Thomas talking about walleye tactics, spring fishing, rip jigging, Johnny Candles on an additional podcast. So make sure to go back and check those out for more information. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.